Librarians, librarians, when you've got questions, they're the ones to help you find what you're looking for, and maybe even something more. Just ask, ask the librarians. Hi everybody, I'm Robin. And I'm Jim. And we're your friendly neighborhood librarians. And we're back, episode two of season two. That's right. Who do we have today? We have Kevin Beckford from the town of Pittsford. The one and only. Yeah. We're going to talk about the Living the Dream series that's taking place here this month Mm -hmm. at the Pittsford Community Library. That's right. How are you today? Pretty good. Thank you. Thank you for being here. We would love to hear about the series. We'd love to hear about your inspiration behind starting up this series and a little bit of history on it. Yeah, it's actually, it's kind of a cool story. I was elected in 2017 to serve on the Pittsburgh Town Board. And as I was doing my sort of preparation work for what it was going to be like, so you have a plan when you're running for office, mm-hmm. but when you win, you realize, okay, I need to like really deepen that plan yeah, even of course. more. So I was putting together my four-year plan and I was looking at this a little different because I'm not really someone that I ever thought I would run for office. So I looked at it as a four-year contract to serve. Gotcha. Um, Mm -hmm. So I put together a four-year plan with understanding that there's some things you can do when you have the majority, some things you can't do. Right. So it was really important that whatever I did in those first two years where I knew we wouldn't have the majority, and I was hopeful we would get the majority in year three if we were successful, had to be collaborative. I had to depoliticize it. Mm -hmm. I had to look for things that really were more just from a pure human humanity perspective or equity perspective and has little to do with party, even though much of those problems sometimes come at us framed either it's a Republican idea or a Democratic idea, and I just want to make it more about humanity. And so as I was doing my work, I came across something I didn't know about Pittsburgh. We were one of the only towns at the time that didn't actually do something at a town level, like issuing a proclamation to Martin Luther King. Sure. And it wasn't because there was any animus associated with it. No one ever asked. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I discovered. So then when I found that out, I had reached out to a couple of supervisors. In fact, Bill Maley next door in Brighton. I asked him, I said, hey, well, what do you guys do? And he said, well, everybody issues a proclamation. I said, yeah, the county does, city does. Uh, and he said, but you guys have never done that. And mm-hmm. I said, oh, okay, well, that'll be a nice, fun thing to yeah. start with. So I approached Bill Smith and he was very open to it. He said, yeah, we've just never, no one's ever asked. So sure. What would you like to do? I said, well, I have a, a sample one from Brighton. We use that. And then I said, what I'd like to do is to have each member of the town board, all five of us read one verse from that proclamation. And this will be a symbolic of a new chapter for Pittsburgh, that we're going to start reaching out more, connecting more with the county, connecting more with the city, connecting more with, you know, life. Yeah. And so that's what we did. At that time, before I got elected, I was doing what's called coffee hours. I would do one on the weekend and one during the week. And I decided to continue that. And it was really for mainly to, you know, some people couldn't go to the board meeting. Yep. And so I wanted to make sure people had access to me. So I continued doing those. And so I had one right after that proclamation at the Village Bakery. So I'm sitting there, I would just publicize and people would come and some people would just come for a little bit and then we would talk about things and so on. And, and I wanted to make sure it was nonpartisan set of Republicans, independents and, and Democrats. And it was a lot of fun because I got a chance to listen and it would affect you know my thoughts. So this coffee hour, uh, a couple of color came up, Vicky and Abraham Brooke, and never met them before, didn't know them. And I said, listen, we just want to thank you. We heard the proclamation. The wife is African-American, the husband is Ethiopian-American. And said, we lived here for 20 years. We've never felt recognized. So we're here just to tell you thank you and to ask you, what can we do to help you? I said, well, I'm so glad you asked because I have this crazy idea that in 2019, I would like to have a four-day series 
called Martin Luther King Living the Dream. And the reason I say living the dream is because in my time living in this country, we have been recognizing him, his birthday, and we'll sing happy birthday and so on. I said, I, I would imagine if we could ask him in heaven to say, is that enough? He would say, no, mm-hmm. I did yeah. not fight for and die for and put my life in risk for you to recognize my birthday. I had a dream, which is well-known and well-repeated, that was supposed to be a prescription for the future, mm-hmm. you know, where we are not measured by the color of our skin. And in an essence, it's saying seeing our full humanity of every human, period, and no ifs, ands, or buts. I said, so I would like this to be a series that is not static, that changes every year, but challenges us to have those difficult, uncomfortable conversations. I said, the best way to do that is you create a common experience with people from different backgrounds, and then you then have a discussion about what that means so that it creates some sort of a center point. So a movie night and discussion is always good. A panel discussion where you really have discussions and then look at what can you learn from them and then something fun, right? She said, okay, well, I'll champion that for you. She put together a team on Facebook and got about 30 people, I think, together to really kind of come up with some suggestions on what to do. At the time, it was going to be in one week, which was the initial idea, which I like in 2022 better because it's spread out. So essentially, they came up with it. I approached the town. The town at the time was not, you know, really thinking this would work because this was such a big leap. So I was able to negotiate with Bill Smith that, you know, if you um, provide the venue, we'll pay for the rest. So then uh, Vicky and, uh, and her husband, Abram, and my family, we actually funded anything that was needed outside of, you know, we didn't have to pay for the location. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we had one meeting here. We had one at the fire hall. And then he did provide interpretive services, which was wonderful. Yeah. And so it was a really good collaborative effort. And so I needed to basically prove the concept and it happened. So then we had, I think, over 600 people showed up between the four events. And probably the one that was the most powerful was a panel discussion because I had this idea that if you talked about structural institutional racism, first of all, it's very um, off-putting for some people to get defensive. And they immediately start thinking about how to say that it's not happening. So the best way to do that is you paint it like on a canvas, but the brush is people's lives. So our sort of panel discussion was going to be bringing back Pittsburgh graduates of color to graduate. 30 years ago, 20, 10, 15, and 6, and to ask two questions. The first question was, how did the rigor of the school system help you in life and in school? And to a person, you saw that the structural institutional process of learning in Pittsburgh was a positive. Whether they were 30 years ago, which is Dr. Leslie Myers, to you know, six years or so, was who now is Senator Brooke. And so they all said it helped them to do better in school, college, life, and so on. The second question was, and this was a powerful one, because I wanted to show that when we talk about structural institutional, you usually hear bias or structural institutional racism, but there's structural institutional fill in the blank. And so there was a good thing about the school system that was helping all the students, but there was also something that was not affecting all of the students, but only affecting some. And the second question was, what was it like as a, a child of color in this same system we just talked about? Whether you were there 30 years ago or six years ago and everything in between, and whether you were urban, suburban, or you lived in Pittsburgh. So to normalize for that, right? The first one that went was Leslie Myers, Dr. Myers, and who's the superintendent of school system. At the time, she was superintendent of the Brockport school system. And she says, well, the difficulty for me was all of my friends, most of my friends were white at the time, you know, because there's not a lot of African-American students in the school. She said, they, I was finding out when I would have lunch with them that they were telling, the career uh, counselors were telling my friends that they could apply to Harvard, Stanford, and Yale because our school system was well known. 
But when it came time for her session, they told her not to bother applying for college and to save their parents' money. You could hear a pin drop in the room. And then the next person addressed a question and was sort of like, oh my God, I, I got the same feedback. And then the next person, and the next person. And then when it got to the person at six years, and at this point now, people were crying. And I actually didn't know what to expect because I didn't know the answer. But I knew that if it existed, I would see it. And if it didn't, I'd say maybe it's not here. A young lady came up, Kim Melvin's daughter, and she came up and she said, I'm graduating in May from Menden High, and I just got the same advice, so it's still happening. Wow. It was the most powerful and emotional event. I don't like inspiring without action. So when I got up and I said, listen, if you don't like what you just heard, there's an action for you. And the action is simple. You show up to the board meeting and to demand that they start hiring more teachers, administrators of color. Why? That's important. Because if you do, it affects the culture of the environment. Uh, you only have one today. That's not acceptable out of 6,000 students in nine schools. I said, and then also training to make sure that they understand how unconscious bias is not allowing them to see the full human being and the talent of our kids of color that they see in the white kids. Because that's what's driving that change. I said, because think of it, I said, if Dr. Myers did not have the support of her family to say, no, you, you can be anything you want to be, we wouldn't have Dr. Myers today. Right. Mm -hmm. I said, and as much as that, this is good to see these six people here, you need to keep in mind that the ones that are not here, that didn't go home and tell their parents, that decided not to go to school because their trusted counselor said, don't waste your parents' money. Their lives are different today because of that. Yeah. Yeah. And this was the first panel event, and it's all because that was the seed and it grows. You got it. That's amazing. So right after that, all the events were so successful and well attended. And then, you know, we had Almeida Whitus, uh, did African storytelling for the fun event. We did that at one of the cabins that we have for the town. So what I did is I then came back to the town and I said, listen, I believe that I've proven the concept. I think we should adopt this, put this in our budget. And if we can have the duck drop every year, we can have Martin Luther King Living the Dream series yes. every year. Now the Juneteenth, that's actually also going to be managed through the library. And so the budget will go towards both. Very good. Wonderful. And so the first one up is Tuesday, January 11th, right? 6.30. We're doing a movie and a discussion for the documentary, Another mm -hmm. Way of Living. Can you tell us a little bit about that documentary? Oh, that is so cool. And I encourage anybody who listens to this, you got to come. And we only have 50 seats, so sign up. And, and actually, I'll throw out a little bit of an offer here that if we end up with a waiting list of people outside of 50, we could run that movie again. All right. And my wife and I will volunteer to facilitate that. That sounds good. And here's why I picked this documentary. It's an experiment that was done that it duplicates what I've been trying to sort of push for in Pittsburgh. And what that is is simple, to make Pittsburgh more accessible to mm -hmm. all human beings. And and so now the first, you know, folks that will say, well, we do have houses that are 100,000, but we haven't built those in 20, 30 years. Yeah. So what we have today is all of our land that we haven't built on, that's approved to be built on, has a zoning restriction that says one house per acre or one house per half acre. Then on top of that, we have the green print zoning that says you can only develop half of the land. So if you have 10 acres, you really have five. Right. If you have five acres, you have five homes or 10 homes. Right. What that does, if you're a developer, is that the price of those homes, they start at 400000 500000 mm. or more. And so if you go away from that to say, well, what's the income needed to pay for those homes? Even if they're small homes, they yeah. cost that much. Sure. In Monroe County, that's less than 1% of the people, right? And for the few homes we have that are more affordable, when they go on the market, they go for higher prices yeah. and they mm -hmm. go very quickly mm -hmm. yeah. because we're not building anymore. And so if we really want to make Pittsburgh truly equitable, we should have inclusionary zoning laws, which by the way, we're talking about right now so there's a chance for people to say we want that Good. what that would mean is that if we were to approve 
that will have higher density things like condominiums, townhomes, patio homes, apartments. The price for entry could be you know half of what it is today, or even maybe a third, because we're allowing for more on the given land. And so that would make it two baristas at twenty thousand a piece can live in a home in yeah. one of those places, or two therapists at forty five thousand a piece can. Whereas today you need to make one hundred and fifty thousand or more for those newer homes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the documentary is going to be followed by a discussion? Yes. And the documentary, it's about Reston, Virginia, right? Which I had never... I watched the trailer for this and I had never heard about this place, honestly. Yeah. yeah. I had never heard of it. In fact, I had spoken with the, the director of the library and she gave me access to Canopy. So I started poking around because even though I know how to budget, I thought if I can get something that you guys already yeah. paid for, that means it gives us more money to spend exactly. on like, like the youth choir that we're bringing in. Mm-hmm. They're not used to getting paid much at all. I was like, don't worry, we got a budget. <laughs> this is going right for the kids. So, and then also for Juneteenth. And so when I, I found this, I was, I watched the whole thing because I couldn't believe it. Yeah. That this guy, Reston, had literally tried this. And then Reston, excuse me, it's called Reston. But, yeah. But yeah. Uh, Robert Simon. Robert yes. Simon. He basically had the same vision that we just talked about, but like in the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he did it. Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. And he basically brought together at the same time when the country was struggling with having equity and, and everybody living together and, and eliminating segregation, he created this catalyst and it became this beacon of hope that just never got replicated in other areas of the country. Yeah. And so I thought... If we can say, if they could do that back then, how bad would it be if we were to do it right now? Like, it's not so bad because it showed people living together. You have a doctor and you have the a bartender or, you know, a barista or, you know, or laborer, you name it, yeah. all living on the same street. It shows that, you know, that you can do that and have a good life. Yeah. Because then it makes kids appreciate when they have mm-hmm. more and makes people aspire to keep working if they don't have as much. It's a good catalyst. I tell you, I'm, I'm looking forward to that conversation because it's timely mm-hmm. because we are literally redoing all of our zoning laws right sure. now. And this is really important to me because uh, when we were doing the comp plan for Pittsburgh, I put an amendment in to try to get that language in the comp plan. And I was unsuccessful because I didn't have it, the majority vote at the time. And it resulted in us getting death threats as a family. Oh, wow. Um, so Sorry. It, you know, they took our address and put it on social media. And then another person from the group posted a video that said, change agent should be shot, killed, or assassinated. And so we ended up having to work with Monroe County Sheriff, the police patrols of our street. It made me realize that um, people are so afraid of integration that they would be willing to risk somebody else's life. It changed my tactic. After that, I, I started trying more education to say that fear is coming from a place where you don't see people as fully human. Because if you do, you wouldn't do that. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry you had that experience. That's awful. That's awful. Yeah. Yeah. The second event in the series, the panel discussion with local students, that sounds like it's just going to be a wonderful conversation. Oh, I'm so excited about that because, in fact, uh, we're still putting together the panel because the young people at Sutherland and at Menden High that did the walkout that said, we want change. Yeah. I want to hear more. We heard them that day on the news. But what I've asked, like Jalen Wims is one of the folks that would spoke to the reporter. And I actually want them to pick the kids mm-hmm. to say, you know, I want you, I would like to see a panel that reflects a diversity of Pittsburgh. So, you know, white, East Indian, East Asian, you know, you name it. The diversity we have. And two questions. The first question is, what is your understanding of Martin Luther King's dream to you? And to see that diversity. And then the next question is, what do you need from society, the system, the school, adults, us, to allow you to achieve that dream? 
and then listen and then we'll see what, what happens from there it's always a great opportunity i think to hear from yeah. students especially the upcoming generation yeah I mean, exactly they're the ones who are going to continue to make there's big so, changes absolutely and there's yeah. so much in the news about parents and the older generations going to school board meetings so on and so forth but let's hear what the kids actually have to say about yeah yeah what's yeah. happening so well i think they get it i know my i have uh, one child my daughter is 16 and and when we talk about these issues you know she is miffed she's like i what what is wrong you know like yeah the stuff that we're like trying to work on mm-hmm. she's like it's really easy like we're all human beings like if you start with that, the rest of the stuff gets easy. Yeah. And I think the, the panel you know. discussion format, you get a bunch of people in the same room, you listen to each other speak. That's the reality of it. It's not right. watching a two second news clip. Right. This is it. Let's get to the heart of it. That's where the work The real happens, conversations. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we've spoke about this before. When you hear people's real stories, that's what helps, moves yeah. things. It's, it's powerful because to me, and that's the reason why I communicate with stories. And when I get asked to come in to give speeches, they're like, you're going to send us your deck? I'm like, nope. I'm the deck, <laughs> you, know, you know, and they're like, well, I said, yeah, because if I show you a deck, what, what happens there? You read and that was inspiring, you know, and, yeah. Yeah. and so on. I said, but if I give you a story, you'll never forget it. Right. You'll never forget that story right. because that's where true change happens is in your heart, not in your head. When you're speaking to librarians here, stories are a thing. So thank you for doing it that way. You got it. The third event on Tuesday, January the 25th, also at 6.30 p.m. It's another movie and discussion, another documentary, Touch the Sky. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that one. So that is cool. I got to tell you, uh, again, had not seen that before. So when I watched it, I was really blown away. It's going to take you from, you know, civil rights, you know, from the passing of the laws to right up to Obama. And then what happened between then and now. And it's really sort of, you know, probably the um, best way I would describe it. If you've read the book, um, we've had eight years or eight years we had. By eight years in power. In, in power. Yeah. Yeah. It's somewhat like that. But it's really showing the progression of how much has changed, um, where we are today. But it leaves you with a question of where we go from here. Because it really, in so many ways, change. You know, there's a book by Dr. Eddie Glaude called Begin Again that I just read this last year that talks about how every generation has this moment that we're in. So we're in that moment right now, mm-hmm. but every generation has that. And so the question is, are we going to just wait and do this again and again and again, or are we going to somehow create systemic change to make a, a true change? And the only way that can happen is you have to get to the DNA level of the problem, right? And so the DNA level of the problem is about humanity. If we recognize that we are part of the human race, period, that there are different flavors of that because of you're born in a different country, different area, you know, you have darker skin tone, different religion practices, you name it. But at its core, we are all human beings. And so if I can give you my kidney and save your life, I can give you my lung and save your life. You can give me your liver, half of your liver and save my life. That in itself should tell you how deeply connected we are. Mm -hmm. And so if we start with that as a premise, and then we look at the world that we're in today that really shows a level of disparity, uh, whether it be segregation or inequity, and then we start fixing it with that frame, it motivates you differently. Here's a perfect example of that. If you look back at 2020 and the things we did as a country to survive a pandemic, mm-hmm. if you had talked about that five years ago, you'd go, "There can't be done. Yeah, can't be done. And it's going to take years. We had to negotiate it, but we did it. Mm-hmm. We went from in the healthcare industry, we went from, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 600 telemedicine calls to 6,000 a day. Zoom is now, you know, like ABC, Yeah. <laughs> right? So, so what it tells you is that if you can find the connective tissue that puts us all together, 
you see a different level of motivation than you normally would. So my hope is with these movies and these discussions, we will touch 50 people's lives. And then if they go out and touch another person's life or even two or three, and then the change goes from there. So that's why they're so important to me is those movie and discussion. And I love that choice for Touch the Sky. I feel like you really picked a good one because it gets right to the heart of the living the dream or continuing yeah. the dream, the series, right? You got it. Absolutely. And Robin, what's the last one? We have? So the fourth event in this series, the MLK Youth Choir Spoken Word and Speech Reenactment, that just sounds like it's going to be just a wonderful celebration. Oh, I'm telling you. I'm so excited. So I, the choir director, um, in fact, and we're still sort of fine-tuning what's going to happen because they normally have, I think, 25 people, 25 kids. Mm-hmm. I think we can only fit like 15 or 20. So I said, I'd like you to do all three. So therefore, they have songs that they normally sing, the youth choir. I said, imagine if that spoken word is each kid reading like a different verse or something, you know, so you know, or singing it or you name it. And then the reenactment, wouldn't that be so cool if each child read like a part of the speech, you know, or something like that. And, and so I would like to have them have the entire time. And they're not used to necessarily getting a lot of money yeah. for it. And I yeah. said, nope. And they're like, well, you know, how about, you know, such as I said, nope. Uh, how many kids? No, nope. we're going to pay you this much. Like, oh. I said, yep. I said, because then they can, you know, put it towards whatever they normally yeah. do. And I said, you know, we have a budget for this. I said, and usually in society, we don't pay people to do things when we should. It's so very that's, true. Absolutely. So that's not going to happen here. And so I think we're going to be really surprised. And that's kind of my hope. So instead of having three separate things, I'd really like the kids to do the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So it's four events spread out over about 18 days from January 11th through January 29th. So mm-hmm. you don't have to be at the library every day. Just come pop in once you a can. week or so. You can. Oh, you can. We do like that. We do love our regulars. So apologies. <laughs> and my hope is that it'll keep us at this constant state of questioning ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are we living his dream? Are we just saying, speaking as dream? And so if you live as dream, what we should see over time is more diversity in our hiring, more diversity in our programs, more thoughtfulness in our communications and those type of things. And then a more comfort level with diversity. You know, that it's not, diversity is not a thing. It's really who we are as human beings. It's just that we don't get comfortable with it because we've done such a horrible job, sadly, of allowing ourselves to live next to each other. You know, we spend more time separating ourselves. So therefore, this thing that I grew up with in the islands, growing up in the Bahamas Islands, I got a chance to see people from the whole world. You know, the people that lived on on the island that I lived with that were from the island were, you know, I was from Jamaica, my friends were from the Bahamas, there were some from Trinidad, Tobago, you know, um, Haiti, you name it. But we'd have people visiting from England, France, Europe, uh, South America, um, you know, South Africa, you name it. And so I grew up with this understanding that we're all global citizens and connected in that level. And so I have that deep appreciation on a core level. So it's been very difficult for me living here in the United States the last 30 years where we spend so much time separating ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we miss it on the beauty of the joy of the difference. No doubt. Yeah. It's silly. Very well said, Kevin. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. We love everything about this. Thank you for spearheading this this series. I love that it started as a just a conversation over a cup of coffee with your yeah. constituents. You never know what's going to happen never over know a cup of coffee. Exactly. That's yeah. very true. Yeah. Very true. Well, thank you very much, Kevin. We're looking forward thank to you. it. Thank you. Thank you. Folks, you can check out all the information about this Living the Dream series on our website, and we'll be promoting it. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, and continuing our series of introducing new staffers to the public yes. uh, through recommendations. Today we have a special guest, another one of our office mates. Yes, we have, we have Jessica here today. Jessica, she's so wonderful. She's super wonderful, and uh, let's find out what she recommended for us. Yeah. 
Hi, my name is Jessica Tantello. I am a clerk here at PCL. I originally started in September of 2021, and I recently returned back as a clerk. Lately, I have been listening to a lot of audiobooks. Right now, I am listening to Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng, which I'm almost finished, and I'm really excited to get to the end of it so I could watch the series. And that about does it for another episode of Your Friendly Neighborhood Librarians. And what a good episode it was. It was. We had a lot of fun. And the fun is not going to stop. We're going to have a super interesting interview with a couple of great people, local folks. The author of The Prison Guard's Daughter, My Journey Through the Ashes of Attica, that's Deanne Quinn Miller. And Gary Craig, who is the longtime investigative journalist at the Democrat and Chronicle. He's also the co-author of that book. And we're going to have them both here. We're going to talk about the book. I think it's going to be such a good conversation. Yeah, I'm super excited. I'm a huge fan of Gary and a huge fan of Deanne's book as well. It's excellent. If you haven't read it yet, go check it out. We have a couple copies here at the library and there's a lot in the county system. So go borrow that. And they're going to be at the library. Yes, they're going to be at the library too for an event on January 31st. Get your copy of their book before coming to the event on the 31st. Definitely. We look forward to it. Yeah. So until then, your friendly neighborhood librarians signing off. Thank you to Meldez, producer, librarian, and magician. Joy Brown, RIT director. Laura, April, and Hillary for our fantastic theme music. The Town of Pittsburgh and the Friends and Foundation for support of the library and giving us the ability to do such awesome projects. And to the New York Times for the use of the Buy the Book column. Find the library on Facebook and Instagram at Pittsburgh Community Library and keep up to date on everything happening at PCL by subscribing to our newsletter. Subscribe to hear new episodes every month on your favorite podcast app.